0: Matthew chapter 5, we're going to start a new series today. I don't know how long it's going to go. It may go on forever. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, the greatest sermon preached ever, the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon that Jesus taught. Uh, Jesus saw people coming to Him as they came to Him. He took them on the side of the mountain and began to speak and teach to them. You're not going to find another sermon like this. You're not going to find throughout the Scriptures another time where Jesus... So adequately addressed so many things so precisely, so easily, so quickly with one or two lines, and and, and absolutely blew me out of the water because I can't preach like that. I can't just say two or three things and just be done. Jesus can do it, He's got authority and power. We start out with seeing this crowd gather around him, and they came searching. And I just want to say this before we even start. Listen, you got to come to church searching. Don't just come to church because it's my day to sit on the mountain. You know what I'm saying? Don't just come to church just because I got to come to church today. It's my day to be. Don't say I got to go to church because, well, I got to go listen to Pastor Bob and then we'll go eat, to go, to the, the, go eat dinner at the beef house or we'll go to the family reunion. or whatever. Don't do that. Listen, come believing that Jesus has got something to say to you. We're not going to teach anything other than the Word of God here, so you might as well come like these people did and gather around seeking with hearts that desire to hear some truth from somebody, from, from, not from me, church, but from Jesus Christ who speaks through me today. So the first thing that Jesus starts with is what we have come to know as the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are the attitudes how I should be, right? Does that make sense? The attitudes of how I should be. The attitudes of of the right attitudes. It's funny that Jesus starts out this whole sermon. People come to Him and the first thing He does is starts talking about these Beatitudes. Starts saying how you can be blessed. Where you find the blessing. And most people will look at these in in Scripture and say, well, okay, Uh, blessed are uh, those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, blessed are those... Uh, Who mourn, And and you start going through these things and and, and people will draw from them. People will look at them and say, you know, I'm in a time of mourning, Pastor Bob, so I can look at the Beatitudes and I can find how I should behave. I should realize that even in my mourning, I am blessed and that, that God has promised me comfort. Is that a good word or is that not a good word? There are times when we are, listen, I just did a couple of funerals this last week. One out of our church family here, and and there's a time and a season for mourning. But even in your mourning, you can be blessed of God. The promise is, is, is that there will be comfort. And it's a real easy way to look at those and understand those, but it's also a way where people will measure themselves by it. Well, I'm mourning, but I don't feel blessed. You know, or I'm I, I I'm I'm I feel humble, but I don't really feel like the kingdom of God belongs to me. So you look at all these things, and people begin to measure themselves by. There's got to be more to it than just that. And it's got to be going further than just a, a measuring uh, rod of, of of my emotions or how I'm behaving. As I said a few minutes ago, this whole thing, this this Christian walk that we're walking in is not about behavioral modification. Yes, our behaviors are modified, but not because we are held to some kind of legalistic standard in this room. We are held to the Word of God and the transforming power therein. And when the Word of God transforms us, yes, our behavioral modification will take place. But it's got to happen in our hearts first. So if we're going to deal with the, the Beatitudes first and foremost this week and next week, then we have to look at it from a standpoint of more than just random scriptures together. There is a purpose here. There's a pattern and there is a plan that God has that He's trying to show us as children of God. This is a plan of, of redemption and transformation. Now, if, if you and I wanted to go, my example of this is this. If you and I would say, okay, I want to climb Mount Everest... And I want to go climb Mount Everest just like this today. And I take off and I go to the base of it and I just start walking up. What's going to happen? You're going to die. You're either going to get so far that you're going to quit and give up because it's too hard and you don't know what you're doing. Or you're going to press on and you're going to die. Or our other option is this. We can find a guide and we can listen to the guide. And the guide's going to tell us everything that we don't have and bless us with everything we need. And after He tells us everything we don't have and blesses us with everything we need, then we will be able to make the journey there and back safely. Amen? Yes. The Beatitudes, the purpose of Christ for us is to lay these out. Before He ever started preaching, He's saying, listen, there's a plan of transformation. There's a plan of hope. There's a plan. You're going someplace. I'm taking you somewhere. You may not be here yet, but if you will be, you'll be blessed. And the first one leads to the next one. And the next one leads to the next one. And the next one leads to the next one until ultimately we start to see the plan of God fulfill in our lives. Let's look at it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first step, church, in our spiritual transformation comes in humility. It comes from humbling ourselves before God. It comes from humbling ourselves even before man. And it starts with a recognition that we are in spiritual poverty. When we come to Christ, we have to come to Christ with the full understanding that I am in spiritual poverty. I am spiritually bankrupt. Everything that God has given me good in my life, every ounce of faith that has been entrusted me, because we know scripturally that there is a measure of faith that's given to man. Amen. And that faith is supposed to be put in God, and, but we don't. We put it in everything else. We put it in economies, we put it in bank accounts, we put it in our lifestyles, we, you, you name it, we put our faith in everything else. And so suddenly we realize that we're bankrupt. Now we can be honest about it, or we can lie about it. What God's called us to do, folks, is to humble ourselves before Him and recognize our condition and because of our selfishness, what we have done to ourselves. God, I am nothing. Spiritually, in and of myself, I can do nothing. I cannot save myself. I cannot live wholly in and of myself. I can do absolutely nothing. Matter of fact, everything you've tra- trusted me with, I have spent on myself. I have used on myself. I have glorified myself. And now I am spiritually, morally bankrupt. This is coming to the realization that we deserve death for our actions. Because we are due the wages that we have earned by our pursuit of sin. And we all know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The only way to receive the gift of God is by humbling ourselves before Him and saying, Father, I am not even worthy to be called your son. So the path of transformation cannot happen unless it starts here. A person cannot, by behavior modification, please God by their lifestyle. Pastor, well, I, I don't know if I want to get saved, but I'm going to, I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit chasing women. I'm going to quit stealing. I'm just not, I'm not going to do all that. doesn't matter. All you become then is a really good sinner. You're still bankrupt spiritually. We have to come to Christ and recognize that we've got to surrender to Him. And it's the only starting place. We cannot get onto the others. We won't have anything to mourn about if we don't first recognize our spiritual poverty. We won't have anything to be meek about if we don't first recognize our spiritual poverty. So the blessing of the promise of God is this, that if we will humble ourselves, if we will recognize we are bankrupt spiritually, then God, in His great mercy, will give us the kingdom Wow, we start out the beginning of transformation with the greatest gift that anybody could ever receive. (laughs) Who needs anything else? You humble yourself. Oh, theirs is the kingdom of God. Do what? I don't have to do anything else. I don't have to go be really good. I don't have to give a lot of money to the church. I I don't have to do all these kind missions things. I don't have to do anything else immediately when I humble myself to you. I receive the kingdom? Theirs is the kingdom of God. Church, we can't earn it. We cannot make it happen by our own works. We cannot purchase it. We cannot do it or anything else. All we can do is humble ourselves before God. And His gift, His blessing is, is that He gives us the kingdom. I love the wording here because it says theirs is the kingdom. You know what that does? That speaks of ownership. Do you know there's a difference between belonging to something and something belonging to you? Think about it. Theirs is the kingdom. In other words, if you will humble yourself before me, the kingdom will belong to you. There's a difference of authority between belonging to something and something belonging to you. I know it's typical and it's a true statement. I belong to the kingdom of God. I'm a child of God. I belong to the kingdom. But the Father, in His mercy, (laughs) because of your humility, says, I'm going to give you the kingdom. It belongs to you. It's a gift. Let it soak in. Think about it. There's a difference in authority. When something, is, it, when something belongs to you rather than belonging to it. And I'll just say this as a reminder. We talked about this, so I won't go into it very quick. But just as a reminder, Matthew 16, 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Ephesians 2, 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. These are all statements of authority. Why does God keep reminding our church that we have authority in Christ? Why is that? I don't know, but he reminded us again, folks. You don't just belong to the kingdom, the kingdom belongs to you. Take authority. The authority of God is not given because we are powerful. The authority of God is not given because we're persuasive. The authority of God is not given because we are loud, obnoxious talkers like myself. The authority of God is given to the humble. But I'm not a pastor. You don't have to be a pastor to be humble. Unfortunately, I know a lot of them that have missed it. Humility is the key, folks. We have been poor in spirit, and so He has raised us up And he has given us the kingdom of God as a gift because we have humbled ourselves before him. He says, all that I have is yours. This is the first step in a life of transformation. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We do not lift ourselves up. We do not try to be more than we are. But by the spirit in us, he will bring life. Raise a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Humble yourselves. Secondly, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We have to be humble, and we have to be broken. This is a a beatitude that encourages many when they are in a state of mourning. As I said before, they will look at this and be encouraged and and be reminded that this will not last forever. And if you're here, loved one, I know there are some some tragic events that seem like you're never going to get past but there is comfort. There is a hope. You may never forget the pain that you've experienced, but there is a hope and there is a comfort and the grieving will stop. The Greek word translated as mourning, though, points to not only a reference to the loss of a loved one or something of that nature or a tragic experience, it also is used for penitence. In other words, it's speaking about godly sorrow. It's talking about repentance. It's about recognizing and having sorrow for our sins, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. This, this mourning that Jesus is talking about drives a person to Repentance. It drives a person to uh, transform their lives. This is the right kind of behavioral modification if you know what I'm talking about. I sinned. I recognize I've sinned. I've humbled myself before God and said I have sinned And then you see what you've done and there's a mourning and there's a grieving inside of you for the actions that we have done. It's not enforced by somebody externally. It's not because a pastor has had to come to your house and knock on your door and tell you to stop, 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 stop. It's because the Holy Spirit is birthed inside of you, the heart of God, and suddenly you're grieved because you see what you have done. This is mourning. Yes. Godly sorrow is the type that will drive us to repentance. Worldly sorrow is the type that will bring death. And here's the difference. I've had a person, I've had a person, I've had people, years ago, I'll do this as an example. Our world doesn't like people to have shame. Our world doesn't like to shame people. They'll shame a few extremes, but they don't like to shame people anymore. You do something wrong, they, they want to cuddle and coddle you. Listen, beloved friend, if you have sinned and you go to a a lost person for counsel, they're going to just smooth it over and tell you that it's just okay. Don't worry about it. Listen, you made a mistake. It's all right. Don't beat yourself up. Don't feel bad about it. And they're going to tell you that everything's just hunky-dory, wonderful, fine and dandy. You come to somebody that believes the Word of God, they're going to come to you and say, you know what? You've sinned. And I love you enough to tell you that you need to repent. There's a difference. The world just doesn't want anybody to feel bad. Just don't feel bad. I, for example, several years ago, I put up something on a social media. I don't even remember if it was Facebook or MySpace now, but it was one of those. It was an old one. And uh, years and years ago, I put something up, and I, was, and I kind of put my testimony up, saying, yeah, I, I uh, shared not details of my past life, but just the, 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 what a wretched sinner I was and how God saved me. And I went through this stuff. You know how many of my lost friends commented on there? trying to encourage me? Oh no, you were never a bad person. You were not bad at all. You were, they don't get it. They don't want anybody to embrace mourning for their sin. Because when somebody embraces mourning for their sin, then they have to look at their own sin and see what's going on in their own lives. These are the same people that if I had sinned would sit there and tell me, it's okay, don't worry about it. Everybody's just being judgmental. The believer that truly mourns church over their own sin will eventually mourn over the sins of others. Listen, if if you're not going to mourn over your own sin, you're not saved. I'm I'm just going to back up for a second because I don't think I was clear enough on this. When a person recognizes they've sinned, they better be stricken in their spirit. If a person's humbling themselves before God, it must go into mourning. Because if it doesn't, they didn't know, they've got no reason to humble themselves. The mourning and the humbling are very closely connected. The blessing of one, of humbling ourselves, is the promise of the kingdom of God. The second part is, is that we're going to be comforted, in other words, we're going to be forgiven. Our sin's going to be taken care of. Our needs are going to be met. We must come to God with mourning. I don't understand these people that get saved and never have any kind of recognition of that they've ever sinned or done anything wrong. That's not salvation. they have got nothing to humble themselves for. They They don't see any sin in their lives. So Jesus is laying out this plan of transformation. He says, you've got to humble yourself and there should be mourning over our sin. There will be comfort that will come. And a person that mourns over their own sin eventually will mourn over the sin of others Romans 12:9 says love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good A person that has been transformed by the grace of God should constantly be broken by the reality of sin in this world Listen the sin of this world should grieve us Can I can I talk to you just honestly for a second My problem with the church in America, the church as a whole, not only will we not address sin anymore, we're not even grieved over it. There's no grief. There's no mourning of the church anymore over the lifestyles of the people around us. I understand we've got to love people and embrace them and try to lead them to Christ, but there's a problem when the the mourning is gone. When there's no more concern about what we see on the television, we turn on the news, there's no more concern to drive us to our knees in prayer. There's no more concern for our friends and our loved ones that are lost. There's no more concern, folks. We have taken that which we should grieve over and we've turned it into entertainment for ourselves. We sit down and we turn it on. We listen to it. We read it. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not of God and it exalts behaviors that are detestable to God. And then we sit there and wonder why it is it's showing up in our lives. I'll tell you why it's showing up in your lives. Because there's a heart issue. You've been living through behavioral modification, but you've been seeking out the desires of your heart, and you filled your heart with the nonsense, and now it's coming out. We're not grieved by sin anymore. There's no mourning. There's no standards, there's no boundaries. Oh, it doesn't matter, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. Beloved, you do whatever you want. But even Paul said that not everything's beneficial to us. The reason our culture is falling apart and the reason it's filtering its way into the church is because the church has filtered its way into the culture. Not because we've been grieved by it and not because we're full of the light of Christ walking out into darkness trying to draw people to Jesus, but because we love the darkness just as much as they did. It entertains us. Shut it off. Shut it off. Close it up. Quit putting it before your eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes that you'll not behold anything that's detestable to God. Listen, church, we need to purify ourselves. This nonsense of not being broken and mourning over what we see every day and just accepting it and then allowing it into our own lives is not transformation for God. It's being transformed and being conformed back to the world. Don't do it. I look really mean, don't I? Sorry, I don't want anybody to feel grieved. Listen, there are enough good things There are enough good things that God has given us in this world that we can find pleasure and enjoyment in. You know what I loved was we... Now, I know you can't just go to Tennessee every day when you get off work. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Well, well, time to punch out. Got to go to Tennessee and sit in the mountains. But I loved it. You know, I'd sit there and just stare. I I don't need a bunch of smut, man. I, I can just... I can just sit and stare. I can stare at a cornfield, bless Jesus. I know everybody's going, to go, cornfield? You? I had a friend from West Texas come up and work for a little bit with us at the shop, and he drove. He took one night after he got off work, and he drove for hours on the country roads through all the cornfields. And I said, why'd you do that? Remember that, John? He said, why'd you do that? And he goes, he goes, man, it's beautiful. I said, it's cornfields. Man, he said, you drive by there and you look at all them cornfields and then you find beans. There's not a weed in them. Beautiful. I said, it's cornfields and beanfields. He said, I'm from West Texas. And I said, that explains it. (laughs) Well, I guess he wasn't from West Texas. He's from East Texas, but he always talked about West Texas, how ugly it was. Jesus said that if we mourn, we are blessed with comfort. Now, this this morning is not about us walking through life like this. Don't put on a sad face, man. If, if you're going to look like this, walk on your hands everywhere you go. Okay, so at least you look like you got a smile on upside down. I would never tell somebody they are blessed with mourning, but it comes to the realization. But when it comes to the realization of our sin, mourning is the best thing we can do. It's true. James 4, 8-10 Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will... Now we just read that a few minutes ago, but right here before it it says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. We must come to Him with a brokenness. We must come to Him with mourning that will bring about a blessing of comfort. The Spirit of God will lift you up and there will come a time where your grief will be over. And even this day, I don't like when certain aspects of my life and my past are brought up because it still grieves me the way I sinned against God. But at the same time, I have peace because I know I was behaving in my sinful nature. I have comfort even though I don't like to talk about who I was or what I did I can have comfort and know that I am forgiven by Jesus Christ. And even in the midst of the recognition of sin in this world and its effects we can have peace. John 14 27 Jesus says peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In this world I'm going to tell you folks there's a lot of bad stuff happening. It's going to get worse and though it grieves my spirit though I don't like to see it happening I can have peace and comfort because I know that I'm only passing through this place I know that I'm not attached to it I know that there's a comfort I know that there's a home that's waiting for me on the other side of this life I am only here by association like Abraham we are sojourners we are walking through this promised land we are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God this is not my home We can have that peace. We can have the peace for our salvation and we can have the peace even in this world that that though we live in it and though we walk in it, we are children of God and the kingdom belongs to us. I may mourn, but I can still be blessed in my mourning. Thirdly and lastly this morning, not only are we transformed when we begin with a humble nature and by mourning and allowing the comfort of Christ to come into our lives through forgiveness. But thirdly, he begins to transform our nature. Number five, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek is often confused with weak. Meekness is not weakness. Merriam-Webster's dictionary says this, Defines meek as this, as having or showing a gentle, quiet spirit, not wanting to fight or argue with people. God says that if we are meek, we will be blessed. If we are meek, (laughs) then we have understood that through our problems, I don't have to fight and I don't have to become angry and and defend my rights or anything else. I trust God to take up my cause. I no longer have a life to defend or a life to fight for or or, or to to, uh, bicker about. We renounce our rights and we live for Jesus. Now men, hang with me on this part, would you? Because I'm a dude like you are and meekness... Usually is not in our nature. I say usually. Some people have been blessed with it. My wife has been blessed with meekness. I have not. This is a transformational work. Some of you are going, tell me about it. (laughs) It's a transformational work that God is doing in my life. Men, meekness has always been viewed as weakness by us because people walk on us. And people take what they want from us. And then we start encouraging one another. Do something about that. Listen, you mess with my wife or my kids, I have a hard time being meek. There's a nature inside of me that God has placed in me in each one of our men in this room, the right hormones, the right things inside of us that will cause us to snap at any minute with the right right connection of problems. So meekness with men a lot of times is frowned upon. But I want to encourage you today, men and ladies too, that meekness will bring blessing into our lives. And meekness is found when we, when we are reproached, we hold our peace. That's meekness, not weakness. Do you know it takes more strength to be meek than it does to get angry and blow up? Try it sometime. Reacting doesn't require strength. That requires as loud and obnoxious of yelling and fit throwing as a child as you can get. When treated with violence, we endure patiently. That's meekness, not weakness. We will not make a scene when we suffer injustice. That's meekness, not weakness. Why? Because the people who have meek are meek. They, they have suffered their rights into the hands of God and His will. And it takes more strength to do that Matthew 5 as you go on down there in verses 38 through 41 Jesus describes us a little bit he says you have heard that it was said eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth but I tell you do not resist an evil person if someone strikes you on the right cheek turn to him the other also and if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic let him have your cloak as well if someone forces you to go one mile go with him two miles some people say pastor that's crazy So I'm just supposed to let everybody else run over me? Listen, you've already got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said you're going to inherit the earth. (laughs) Why are you concerned about all this stuff attached to the world? I know, I'm preaching it. And in my heart, I'm sitting here going, Pastor, you're saying stuff you can't even do yourself. Listen, sometimes the best thing we can do is to say, God, do you see this? I'm taking my hands off of it. In the last week, many of you know what I've dealt with with my son. Some well-to-do people that are top-notch, classy people in our society have decided to take pictures of him and with messages all over him and start passing them around social media as much as they can. I saw that and I didn't feel very meek. But here's what I did. In the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, knowing that if I reacted to it, it would only get worse. I said, Lord, I literally said these words, Lord, take up our cause. Sometimes we have to be meek. Because if you do anything different, it draws more attention to it. And only makes things worse. Now don't get me wrong, it's not that I approve of anything that's happened, it's not, I don't approve of any of it, you know that. But the fact of the matter is, is when you start posting lies for defamation of character, me throwing a fit about it on the same social media, nobody's gonna take my side. You know what I'm saying? There are many things in our lives that we cannot control, and we just have to say, God, would you take up our cause? Lord, take up my cause. Listen, I'm learning this more in the last year than I've ever learned in my life. I am learning meekness like you would not believe. And some people say, you got a long ways to go, Pastor, but hey, good for you. The natural response of all these things that I read to you is to become angry. However, God has not called us to deal with natural circumstances with natural reactions. He's called us to deal with natural circumstances with supernatural reactions. And approaching things with a meek attitude is supernatural. It's supernatural. Supernatural what God's called us to be. James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Do not take revenge, my friends. In Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So what God is saying is, is whatever it is that's weighing on you, church, take it, put it in my lap and say, let me take up the cause and I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. Don't you try to avenge, because you and, I, you and I, we're not capable of doing it correctly. We can't do it right. It's only going to get worse. Have you, ever, have you ever destroyed things and then thought, well, I wish I would have kept my mouth shut? Men, we do this all the time. Come into a situation, misunderstand the situation, get mad, blow up, make a mess of everything, and then step back and go, oh, I didn't realize what you meant when you said that. Whereas, if we'd have just been meek to begin, how come every man in the church just went, (laughs) looked at their wife and went, once or twice? (laughs) Nobody slap anybody, okay? Don't do anything. If we would just learn to be meek, it's not weakness, guys. It's not weakness, it's about allowing God to take up our cause. This is opposite of what the world teaches. The world teaches us we got to assert ourselves and to guard ourselves and to be aggressive and to take what you want because if you don't, everybody else is going to take it. And what will make you happy? Do that or, or anything else. Whatever it is that's going to help you climb the ladder. I understand in business, you got people under you. Sometimes you got to assert yourself because if you're too meek, they're going to take advantage of you. I get that. But don't abuse it. Don't abuse the power or the authority. Instead, you can direct people with a meek attitude. You can be firm while being meek. Have you ever, <laughs> ever reprimanded somebody and been done reprimanding them? And they leave the room and they say, did I just get reprimanded? What was that? What just happened? You say, I've never had the pleasure of reprimanding anybody. How about children? you ever reprimanded, reprimanded your children? No, I just beat them, Pastor. It's in the Word of God. It says that if I beat him, he will not die. It's in the King James Version. It really says that in Proverbs. But anyway. Spare the rod, hate the child, pastor. That's what I do. Well, do it meekly, okay? We receive the kingdom of God, we receive comfort, and we inherit the earth if we can handle this in our lives. Our culture doesn't want to inherit. Everybody say inherit. You know why nobody in our world wants to inherit the earth? Because they want to gain the world. They don't want to inherit it because inheritance takes time. Amen? People that are hungry for an inheritance can't wait for somebody else to die. Inheritance is something that God says, I'm giving you the kingdom now, and I'll comfort you now, but if you walk with meekness, you will inherit later the earth. Inheritance is something you have to wait for. And meek people wait really well. Aggressive people don't wait good. Matter of fact, aggressive people act a lot like that son in the Bible, you know? The prodigal son that says, Father, give me my inheritance now. I want it now. And so he got it and then what did he do? He went and he spent it all on himself and then it humbled him, took him back to number one. Are we in the book? Humbled him. He come back mourning. He said, oh, the servants in my father's house had it better than this. And he was meek because he came back and he said, Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Attitude change. It's amazing what this transformation process will do for us. But church, when it comes to the world, we cannot pursue it, and we can't pursue it in the way that we think we're going we're to gain the world because that happens by fighting, arguing, wars, death, violence, because people want to gain as much of this world as they can gain before they die. In Mark 8.36, Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What he's wanting to do is give us our soul, and if we live in obedience and walk in obedience with him and meek, he will give us the earth later. Well, when's later? Something has to die before you can inherit something. When this earth passes away, we will inherit the next one, the new one. See, you and I don't belong here. This is not our home. And God will advance the meek. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28-30, Jesus said, Come to me, all, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. And the word in the King James there is meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus came to us with an attitude of meekness, did not defend Himself, though He had been sinned against, though He had been falsely accused. He came with an attitude of reconciliation. He did not place an impossible yoke on us who were worthy of death. You know, a lot of times if we're not meek, we can place an impossible yoke on people when they've done something wrong to us, and never, ever, ever let them out from underneath it. That's not called being meek. Now you tell me if Jesus, who was meek, was advanced. He was only given all authority in heaven and earth. And He's given us authority as well. And we are promised the kingdom. And that if we wait with a meek attitude, we will inherit the earth. I'm going to have Devin come. As I say inherit the earth, and I talk about this thing of meekness and allowing God to take up our cause. I was reminded a couple weeks ago I shared with you a couple stories from the Iraqi pastor that I got to listen to at the centennial celebration in Springfield, Missouri. And another thing that he shared that I, had, I, didn't, I hadn't told you yet uh, was he explained how his farm was, his, his, uh, farm was located and surrounded by all these other Muslim farmers. And they came in one day by force and said, we're taking your land from you. They're not purchasing it. They're not working out a deal with him. They just said, get off of your property. It's ours now and we'll take it by force. Either leave or we'll kill you. So he grabbed his stuff, a few things, grabbed his wife and kids, and they walked off of his property. He couldn't do anything about it. You're in Iraq. I mean, you're not going to get a whole lot of justice for a Christian Iraqi. So he just left and said, Lord, you see this? I don't know how long he was gone. It was long enough that these people moved in on his land and built homes. And were farming, took his crops that he had that year, stole them, and then built their homes and continued to farm his land. Now, after a while, his his land was right there on the Tigris River. And he said, it floods like rivers do every year, flood and come up and go down. And uh, he said, except this year, it really flooded. And he said, it flooded so much that it literally took every home that had been built off the land. Except his home. He said, God cleansed my land in an impossible situation. He didn't have to lift a finger. He didn't have to fight. He didn't get a lawyer. He didn't go to the government. He didn't call any embassies or anything else. He just walked off the land and said, Lord. And he walked back, took his home over, and lives there to this day. That's called meek. Meek attitude is important. Let me tell you why. You don't understand the authority you have. You are an ambassador. Scripture says you are Christ's ambassador. You are a servant of the highest king in all the universe. And he has sent you out into this world to share his message. You have been empowered with the kingdom you have been empowered by the kingdom to go forth in the power of the kingdom to share the message. And as you go along the way and somebody mistreats you, you don't have to fight. Let me explain why. Comparatively, if our nation sent ambassadors to another nation, and when those ambassadors got into that other nation and had done nothing illegal, nothing wrong, no no war crimes, nothing, came with a message of grace and mercy from our nation to another nation, and what they do is is they beat them, and they stick them into a prison, and continue to hurt them, and beat them, they don't have to fight, because our leadership will get word of it, and deal with it. Should. I heard giggles, so I had to say should. Should. But with the king of kings and lord of lords, you will only suffer as much as he will allow you to suffer. And he will take up your cause and he will redeem you. Be meek. Wives at home, be meek with your husbands. If he's a brute, God will deal with him. And the Scripture says that if you continue to be meek and gentle and have a gentle, quiet spirit, that it may change him. It will save him. Husbands, if she's that dripping faucet that won't ever shut up, don't build a house on the corner of the roof. Don't go up there in the corner of the roof and try to live like Proverbs says. Be meek. You are the priest of your home. You have authority there. Walk in in the power of God, not in the anger of your flesh. And it will change. That's what God has called us to be. And that's only three of the Beatitudes. So many more blessings to come. So many more things that God's going to transform in our lives. Bow your heads with me. Father, we're so thankful. So thankful that you have humbled us. So thankful, God, that you have allowed us to mourn and recognize what our sin is. So thankful, God, that you've begun to plant your nature inside of us and that we too would walk with a meek attitude, but in the power of the God who sent us. In this room, Lord, there's many representations of different lives, different families, different homes, different decisions. Everybody's in different places, God, in this path of transformation. But Lord, if there be one here this morning that doesn't know you, that has not humbled themselves before you, I pray today, they would do that. But God, they wouldn't try to live out the other Beatitudes without first serving you. I pray, Lord, that we would begin to see sin for what it is and the damage and destruction it does to our own lives and the lives of others, that we would not glorify it and we would not entertain ourselves with it, but Lord, that we would hate it. Do a work in us, Father, and help us to walk in meekness heads bowed. If you're here, you say, Pastor, I have never humbled myself before God, but I, I see my sin. I know I'm a sinner. The scripture says that all of us have sinned. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if that's you today, you say, I need to give my life to Christ. We want to pray with you just by a quick uplifted hand. Say, Pastor, I hear you. I want to surrender myself to Christ. I see that. Amen. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning?